This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Thank you for being here again and for worshiping with us. I am uh, excited for this morning. I'm looking forward to diving into the Word of God. If you weren't with us last week, we kicked off, an, I believe we've kicked off an awesome, awesome study I pray that you will be encouraged through it. Uh, I don't know if you'll make it to every one of the weeks, but uh, I hope that you'll get as much of it as you can. We are in the book of Galatians. Uh, we, are, uh, we started last week in verse number one, and today we're going to pick up in verse number one. So uh, if you missed it last week, I'm going to recap a little bit, and then I'm going to dive right in. But we talked last week of the context of the book of Galatians discovering, looking at the theme of freedom in Christ, that Paul wrote the book on his very first missionary journey, roughly A.D. 49, in, the, in, in Asia Minor, where he was writing to the churches at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. We discovered that Paul was a bit frustrated, he was angry, he was irritated at the complete abandonment of the gospel that was taking place in these churches. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1 says this, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Do not be entangled, don't be, uh, be set free from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so much of what was taught prior to is now coming back and uh, they're adding to and they're doing all of these things. We looked at John chapter 8 last week in verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I asked a whole bunch of questions and I'm not going to go through all of that. But last week I asked the question, what is free indeed? Free from what? We talked about that last week, that uh, freedom from sin, freedom from all of the, uh, the... what Christ came and delivered us from in salvation, but what we have done and what was taking place here is so often we have been set free, but then we have added back. We've reached back and said, oh, but I need to act this way. I need to do this thing. I need to take on this. And nowhere does Jesus Christ offer, nowhere in the gospel does that mention. We only need Christ. And as we allow Christ to move in us, Then some of those things take place, but we recognized last week that the Judaizers had come in. They were teaching that you must add to. And so at the very beginning of this, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. In verse number one, Paul goes in and he says, hey, I am defending who I am. Because the Judaizers had come and began to speak poorly of Paul. They had begun to tell lies of Paul, which if if the messenger is wrong, then the message will be considered wrong. And so Paul begins to come in and he says, no, I am an apostle of and by Jesus Christ. What is an apostle? One who is sent with a commission, an ambassador, a messenger, chosen, trained by Jesus Christ and His special emissary for proclaiming His truth, and this time specifically for the formative years of the church. The The Judaizers had lied about Paul, who he was, that he wasn't an apostle. And therefore, the the message, the trust in the gospel began to get watered down as well. 
Let's not forget this. And I mentioned this, and we're not going to read through all of this, but let's not forget that Paul was very much an apostle. Acts chapter 9 is the, the road to Damascus, Paul's testimony, if you will, where God called him. Why would God have called Paul? Paul was specifically created, designed uniquely for this calling. Just as God has created you, designed you for a specific task, a specific calling in your life as a believer in Christ, Paul was chosen, Paul was unique in everything that he was from the time he was born all the way through. His lineage is everything. He was born as a Jew. He was taught from the the best of the best of the minds in the day. He was a Pharisee, excelled as a Pharisee. Paul not only understood what it was to be under the thumb or under the law of works, Paul experienced the, the goodness of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel, as much if not more than anybody that ever experienced it. Paul was qualified. We looked at the Judaizers last week. Who were the Judaizers? They were an extreme uh, Jewish faction that settled into the early church, teaching that the Gentile Christian had to submit to Jewish law and Jewish traditions in order, in addition to believing in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is coming in, and in verse number 6 through 10, I'm going to read this again. We looked at it last week, but in verses 6 through 10, Paul says this I marvel, I am astonished, I am stunned that you, ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. In verse number 10 he says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We look at this passage, and and we'll get into that next week in verse number 6, but when we look at this, Paul is astonished, Paul is upset, Paul is frustrated that you have allowed this other gospel. It's not an addition to the gospel, it is an other, it's not the gospel. See, we have attempted, even in our country, even in our culture, we have attempted to say, this is okay, but, there is no but, There is no need to add to the gospel. If there was a need to add to the gospel, what Jesus Christ did on the cross is worthless. But what he did on the cross was final, and it was all that was needed. And so we look at this. Paul was frustrated. Paul began to defend his apostleship, the authority that God had given him to teach and share the gospel. He then began to confront this group restating the power and the truth of the gospel. So with all of that, I I believe that we've got a a basic foundation of the book of Galatians, when it was written, who was the author, and so on and so forth. And so we look at this, and I said this last week, what is it that that we are striving for in this, this series? Why are the book of Galatians, what do you need, or what are we hoping that you would take out of this that we would truly understand and know the gospel through and through. 
We're going to look at that this morning in the first five verses Paul very clearly presents the gospel message of Jesus Christ and explains what those details are. It's not just being able to say, well, Jesus came, died, and rose again. That is true. That is vital. That is foundational. But it's not good enough for us to just be able to walk out of the building and go share with our friends, hey, this is all we need. No, there is so much depth of the gospel message. We should be able to come in here. I should be able to preach the gospel message every single week. And we should be able to go, oh my word, I I never saw it that way. You know what I've heard in church before? This is sad, but this is true. We just, that you know, the, the Easter story. Oh, we hear the Easter story every Easter. Oh, the gospel, we, we, you preach that every week. Listen, if you found a church that doesn't preach a gospel every week, you found the wrong church. We never should be able to get over the gospel. So we should know it. We should know it through and through. And I pray, my prayer is that as we study the book of Galatians, you will know thoroughly what the gospel is and you will be able to grow into it every single day of your life until the day that you die. Not only that, we would have a true grasp of the freedom that we have in Him. That we are not to live with Christ plus other things. It's not Jesus and works. It's not Jesus and religion. It's not any of that. It is Jesus. And in Jesus, I have freedom. I don't need to live as a believer, but yet in shackles. But we do that so often in our lives. Because I have to impress you. You have to impress me. And we live our lives in such a manner that, that is this, that's, that's where we're at. So I pray that we get that. This morning we're going to look at the first five verses. And so I'm going to read those again. I hope, my, I, I've, I said this last week, I really truly pray and hope that you will take this. And this isn't something that you look at on Sunday morning with me. But that you will, if nothing else... Read, we're going to be in, the ver- in chapter number one for a few weeks. Read chapter number one every day. Read it two times a week, three times a week, I don't know. Whatever you would say, hey, I can do this. It's 24 verses. Take two to three minutes. Read those 24 verses in the morning and the evening. Every day through the, as we go through it. We're going to get to chapter number two eventually. And when we're there, read chapter 2. But go along with it. One of the things I love about verse-by-verse study is, is just that. It's a way that you can do this on a regular basis in your own home, at your own table, or whatever it is that you read it. Chapter, Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1 says this, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask this morning that you would meet with us and that you would speak through your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we touched last week 
mainly in those first couple verses. Uh, who was Paul as an apostle? Who were the Judaizers? The things that were coming in. And so we looked at all of those things and, and why Paul was defending himself and why he was speaking in the manner that he was speaking, what those frustrations were. And this morning, we're going to dive in more verse by verse, more picking out words and explaining what this is. I, I wrote it this way, that we are going to look at the essence of the gospel. The essence, the word essence is this, the intrinsic nature or the indispensable quality of something. We're going to look at the indispensable quality of the gospel this morning. The words grace, verse number three, grace and or grace be to you and peace from God the Father is written in every letter that Paul write, has written. Every letter that he wrote has that verse somewhere within the first few verses of each letter. So if you were to go through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Thessalonians and all of those, you're going to see grace and peace somewhere within the first uh, introduction. And so this morning, as we're looking at the gospel, we have to look at those two words, grace and peace. These are two of the foundational words inside of the gospel. Grace is the source of salvation. Peace is the result of salvation. Grace is positional while peace is practical. They both flow only from God and our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the word grace. A simple definition of the word grace. Is God doing in and through and for you which you cannot do for yourself? God doing in and through and for you, which you cannot do for yourself. And I would add this, and maybe somebody would say I'm wrong. It's not something you desire either. In my sin, as somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I don't desire unless God speaks into me. Grace is God's initiative to take action on our behalf of a hopeless, lost humanity. Grace is a movement of the giver of life toward a spiritually dead person. Grace is the decision of a righteous judge to take on himself of the guilty convict. Grace is a move of the lawgiver towards the lawbreaker. God doing in and through and for you which you could not do by yourself. The grace spoken of here is a sanctifying grace. The enabling ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the saints. Grace. Ephesians 2 says this, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. When I look at that passage of Scripture, one, I love that. I love the thought of me being dead, me lying in a grave, and God Almighty reaching down and giving me life to bring me up to new. But I did not deserve that. I didn't deserve that while I was dead in my sin and trespasses that God would reach down and bring me up to life. The, ver the song that we sung is what? That God would give us life to do what? To set us free. None of us deserve that. That is the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by what? His grace. Why? Because I am not worthy, but yet God's grace says, I reached down when you are unworthy and I loved you enough to pick you up, to offer something to you that you don't deserve. 
God doing in and through and for you, which you cannot do for yourself. By His grace, let me finish that verse since I didn't. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The grace of God, justified freely. God's grace, which we don't deserve. Peace. Peace is the cessation of of hostilities. Because of grace, we can have peace. Or the cessation or the ceasing of those hostilities. The root of this being to to be complete, to be sound. Peace isn't just one showing an absence of civil disturbance or hostilities. There are times that there's great disturbance, there's great hostility all around us, but the peace that God gives is a peace that in the midst of those times, we can be inwardly at peace, we can have an inward calm, we can have an inward rest, we can have peace and tranquility in the mind. Why? Because of God's grace that He has given to us in that. I am at peace because of the grace of God. I am no longer judged condemned and under his wrath through the grace of God I have been offered a clean conscience to stand before a holy God I am at peace because I am clothed in his righteousness I am at peace because God no longer sees a sinner but sees a saint we now not only have access to peace with God but we have peace of God walking with us as the prince of peace has now taken residency inside of my life The grace of God, the peace of God. I don't know how many of you walk around every day, and I don't know how many of you say certain things, but listen, as a believer in Christ, I am not a sinner in the eyes of God. I am not a vile, wicked individual in the eyes of God. I am at peace, and being at peace, I know this, that when I stand before an almighty God, My peace of mind is knowing that God Almighty, the Father, is going to look at me. He's not going to see all of my shame. He's not going to see all of my sin. He's not going to see all of those things. He is going to see the blood-washed Son of God. I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am righteous. That That is a great peace of my heart. That God doesn't look at me. And see something that sometimes I look in the mirror and see. See, when I've messed up and it's been horrible, and sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I am worthless. I can't do that. I'm not good enough to do that. No, I'll tell you this. You aren't good enough. I'm not good enough. But it's the grace of God. It's the peace that can wash over me that allows me to have the strength to do that which God has called for us to do. And in the eyes of God, I can, I am able to have peace in my heart because I know in God's eyes I'm a child of his I'm righteous grace and peace are you ready for the three points this morning that was all kind of introduction grace and peace from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ the gospel is given in grace and gives us a result of peace and so this morning for the next few minutes We're going to look at really basically verse number four. If we look at verse number four, it says this, who gave himself for our sins. One of the greatest qualities or one of the when we look at just the quality and what is the gospel, the gospel is this, that Christ is my substitute. Christ is my substitute. 
Jesus Christ, it says in this, Paul was writing, Jesus gave himself, if you were to just read through that, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, what did he give himself for? For my sins. He came to be my substitute. He came that where I should be standing here, where I should be taking this punishment, where I should be dealing with this thing, and where I should be dealing with all of the the wickedness and the vileness that is humanity in our sin, God sent His Son to say, no, you stand in that place. You be that substitute. The Word says He gave Himself for our sins. Paul begins this letter with the Gospel. A reminder of the gospel back to the churches that he was writing to. He says, don't forget it. Don't forget the grace that is offered. Don't forget the peace that comes from it. Remember the one who gave himself for your sin. He took our place. He stood where I ought to be standing. These people in adding to the gospel were taking away from the substitutionary character of the atoning death of Christ. Every time, listen, every time we add to or think you can do something to, we have taken away from everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross. When people want to say, well, I, you know, what? What is your relationship like with God? Or how might you get to heaven? What happens after this life? And so on and so forth. You get to heaven. You get to, What is that? And the people say what? The same thing. What? I'll be good. I'll be good enough. There is no good enough. And as much as you may not like to say that to somebody, there is no good enough. In doing that, we have taken away from everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Salvation is not earned by one's efforts to eliminate sin, but by one's trust in God's promise to forgive sin through the work of Jesus Christ. His atoning death was the most essential part of the divine plan of redemption, without which all of His teachings and miraculous works would have been meaningless and a mockery. Apart from Christ's sacrificial death, His ministry would have portrayed the power and truth of a great and wonderful God, but a God with whom men could never be reconciled because they had no way out of their sin. Romans 3 and verse 20 says this, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. The law shows us our sin, it does not cover our sin. I can't stand before God and say, I withheld, I upheld every bit of the law. Because I can't, one, uphold every bit of the law. But the other part, it's not that which brings us to salvation. You and I cannot eliminate our sin. I can't work hard enough. I can't do enough good. My sin has to be forgiven. My sin has to be paid for. 1 Peter chapter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. The substitution was and is our only hope. Had Christ not died in our place, we would have no hope. If Christ had not died on our behalf, He could not have been raised on our behalf. And if He had not been raised, Paul says it in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not died on our behalf, He could not have raised on our behalf. And if He had, been, if he had not been raised, Paul says, then preaching the gospel would be what? Vain. 
trusting in the gospel would be worthless and all men would still be in their sin. Paul is fighting for the gospel. He says, do not forget that Jesus Christ gave himself in this passage, who gave himself for our sins. He came to stand in your place. He took our place with relation to our sin, gave himself as the sacrifice that would perfectly satisfy the demands of God's holy law, which the human race has completely violated. This morning, I don't know where you sit. I don't know what you're, uh, where you stand with God this morning, but I would urge you, I would plead with you, and I would beg you, do you fully understand that God stood in your place and took upon all of the mess that sin is? And He said, I will take this. Because why? I love you. I will, I will bear the sin of this world. Why? Because I love you. Because I can't. But He did. I've said it so many times. You and I were created for one reason and one reason only. To be in relationship with God. To worship Him. To commune with Him. To fellowship with Him. To, to rest in Him. But we can't do that when we're separated because of sin. And in that separation in the garden, God the Father sent His only Son, giving us the only hope of eternity with Him, was that He would die. That we would say, okay God, I have failed miserably, but I need a Savior. God gave us a way through the substitutionary atonement of His only Son. The gospel message is, in part, that Christ is my substitute. As we continue to read in this verse, verse number 4, who gave Himself for our sins, it says this, that He might deliver us from this present evil world, that He might deliver us from this present evil world. We just sung a song entitled, You Deliver Me. I think we can look at that in many different ways. I don't know how many of you have just faced life and you know that God has taken you in circumstances and it's just God that just sets you free in, in a sense. A bad circumstance at work, a bad circumstance at home, a bad marriage, a bad this or a bad that, and God literally just loved you and, and carried you, delivered you through. And that's awesome. But when we look at the deliverance that is the gospel, when I've been delivered out of the, the hand of the enemy, out of the, the pit of hell, again, what did I say in Ephesians chapter 2? That they were, I was dead, I was in the grave, I was dead and worthless and lifeless outside of the fact that God came down and quickened me and, and gave me life and delivered me from death. The gospel's purpose is that of deliverance. That is a, a rescue from danger. 
It's used in the book of Acts where uh, Peter was being delivered from prison. It says, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out. He was delivered from danger. Deliver is this, to pluck out, to draw out, to rescue, to deliver. The gospel is a rescue. It's an emancipation from a state of bondage. Not a removal from, but a rescue from the power of the ethical characteristics of this present age. What is this present age? I, I love this statement that I, I had read in my study, and I just, I'm just going to kind of read it here, but it says this. This present evil age or this present evil world is this. All that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations at any time current in the world which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define but which constitute a most real and effective power being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale again inevitably to exhale. The world in which we live, that floating mass of thought and opinion and maxim, we live it. We, we dwell in it every day, all day. And we bring it, breathe it in, and we exhale it out. Jesus experienced that when he came the first time, and he will experience this world when he comes again. It's an evil world in which we live. But what is this evil? What does the word evil mean? I want you to just think, I want you to listen to this. There's two thoughts of what the word evil means, two different definitions. The one is this, that one would be content to perish in his own corruption. Evil is that one would be content to perish in his own corruption. That's pretty nasty. But the the word evil in this passage of Scripture is this, this definition. Listen to this. Man is not content unless he is corrupting others as well and drawing them into the same destruction with himself. I don't know about you, and maybe you are far better than me, but as a child, when I did really dumb things, or as a teenager, when I would do really dumb things, I didn't do anything that was like really, really bad, but you know, TPing or, um, you know, things that teenagers do, right? It's not funny. Apparently you didn't do it. I only did this. <laughs> My parents taught me how to do this, so I know I wasn't the only one. They would tell me stories. Did anybody? Did, all right. Y'all are like staring at me like I'm an idiot. Did anybody else ever toilet paper a house? Thank you. All right. Very good. With you. I did with Dale in college. So, Listen. Did you do it by yourself? No. No. There was somebody that was a ringleader that said, hey, we are going to go do this. Why don't we go do this? Right? This pastor, this, this statement is this. Man is not content unless he is corrupting others. I am going to bring you with me to do this. So if I get in trouble, we get in trouble. Well, but mom... He told me, right? So when we look at this and we think of this, Satan and this world are not okay being of themselves evil. They want to destroy you. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, it says what? Who 
gave himself for our sins, the substitution of our sin, that he would deliver us. What are we being delivered from? That present evil. I don't have to live in that. I don't have to dwell in that. I am being delivered from that, so I don't have to go back. I can't do enough good to overcome that evil. I can't do enough to overcome the ones who are seeking that I would go down with them. Rather, God sent His Son, His only Son, to be my substitute, that in Him I would be delivered from the evil age. He died to deliver us from this present evil world. Not presently to remove His people out of it. Think about this. God didn't save you and then take you away. He saved you to keep you so that God in and through you could do the work that God had planned for you. And He did that what? It was a rescue. To rescue you from the power of the evil world. To keep you from the evil And in due time, in due time, what do we get? There's coming a day, what? He will be back. There will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. There is something to look forward to. Not only did God allow me to have the power to live and to dwell and to do the things today, but He said, hey, one day all of that mess will be gone and we will rule and reign and we will have perfection and we will have a new heaven and a new earth. I have something to look forward to. He is delivering. We must understand, Jesus didn't come so that when we say yes to Him, that He would just take us up. But rather, He came to give us the power to dwell within us, to thus do right. Freedom is the power to do right. Freedom is the power to do right. Outside of Christ, we don't have the power to do right. In Him, He gives us that. Jesus' death was a rescue operation. The only possible means of saving men from the doomed world and from eternal death by providing for them eternal life was that He would send His Son. He's, He's desired that we would have eternal life. And I've said this over again, uh, John 17, 3 And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God. And I have eternal life today in knowing Him. Here's what's really awesome to me, and and I think that we're all going to enjoy and celebrate, and we can't really fathom what it's going to be like in heaven. But the joy of heaven is not that we're going to have cool streets. It's not that there's going to be jasper walls. It's not that we're going to see the most beautiful things that our eyes have ever seen. The joy of heaven is that for all of eternity, we worship and know God in perfection. I will bow at the feet of Christ. I will see Jesus. I will experience that. That is the joy of heaven. That is eternal life. But here's the thing. God set it up in such a manner that today I can dwell in eternal life and know him. Is it perfect? No. But I can be delivered from this present evil world. And this is, this is just this, the foundational pieces of being set free. That I would understand that being set free is to have the opportunity to know him and to choose right. 
freedom is choosing right and being able to make those right decisions. And we see that in knowing Him. This morning, in understanding and grasping the gospel, these are things that we can't take away. We can't take away the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. We can't add to that. Jesus came to die as your substitute. Jesus came to die as your substitute to deliver you from the evil world. And Jesus came, lastly, the gospel is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to, what does it say, the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. This morning as we tackle this introduction, Paul laying out the foundation of the Gospel, Paul laying out the Gospel of grace, Paul laying these things out for this, these churches here in Galatia. We look at it no different today. The source of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is the sovereign, loving, compassionate, gracious will of our Father. John 3.16, what is it? For God so loved the world that He gave. In His grace, He gave His only Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's plan God's love God's desire was so much so in his sovereignty in his loving compassionate grace he gave his only begotten son for you what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 22 I don't believe this is on the screen because I think I forgot to highlight it when we did these but Luke 22 what did Jesus say in verse 42 father if thou be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless my will but thine be done. Jesus was standing there. Jesus is being arrested. Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus says, hey, God, if you would take this from me, I would sure love that. But it wasn't about that. Jesus said, take it from me if it it would, but I'm willing to go through this. But he says, Father, would you? But the will of the Father was not to take the cup from Him. The will of the Father was that Jesus would die. Because in order for salvation to take place, in order for our relationship to be able to be made whole, in order for us to be able to commune with God, to have what God has intended to do, Jesus had to die that we might have salvation. He had to be your substitute. He had to stand in your place. He had to do that so that you might be delivered. Every rescued believer is delivered because of the sovereign, gracious will of God. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Salvation is removed from the will of man. It is buried deep in the sovereign decree and grace of God. This morning in these introductory verses, in verses 1 through 5, Paul is expressing, he's showing, he's teaching, he's writing the gospel. 
that God's will is for man to come to him and that it's to the glory of the Father forevermore. This morning and for the next, I have no idea how many weeks, as we go verse by verse through the book of Galatians, this exact thought is going to be throughout everything. What is the gospel? How is it freeing to you and I? And this morning we looked at it in three ways. That it's Jesus Christ as our substitute came to deliver you, to set you free. Because that's the ultimate will of God the Father. That none would perish. Listen, I don't know what you take from today. You say, I'm a believer, I've known this, I've sat in church a million times, and I've heard this over and over and over again. I would plead with you, I would beg you, I would challenge you to question your heart if you sit here and say, well, I've heard that before, and you rush out of this building. Listen, I beg that you would say, God, you've got to grab a hold of me. Because if you can't sit through a service like this and not feel something as a believer... You need, to, you need to run to this altar and say, God, I need this. I'll just tell you what I was doing on Friday morning. When I was on Friday morning, I was writing this, finishing up my sermon. And all week long, I had been going through, Dan and I went out of town for just a couple days, and we were planning, and we were talking about ministry, and what we were doing, and where we're going, and all of those things. And uh, so I, I did some study while we were there, and but Friday when I came back, I just sat down and I'm at my favorite coffee shop down the street, Schemos. And I'm in the corner and I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm writing and I always listen to some music while I'm doing so. And I'm trying, I was actually texting my mom with songs and stuff for this morning and, and, and we're, I'm going through these things and I'm literally just like, I've shared stories where I'm in the gym and I'm trying to worship because a song comes on. But, like, I'm sitting at the coffee shop and, like, the next table over, someone's staring at me. And I'm no joke. I'm, like, I'm, I'm trying to cry. I'm, like, wanting to cry, but I'm trying to be, like, I can't do this in the middle of this coffee shop while everyone's staring at me. But I'm reading the Word of God. I'm studying through the Gospel. And I'm listening to songs like the one that we sang this morning. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to contain myself. This morning when we're practicing the songs, I'm welling up, I'm sing we're singing the songs, I'm welling up. Why? Because the grace of God is so much greater. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be able to stand here and preach, let alone to sit in your seat and hear it. I don't deserve to have and hold the Word of God and read it on a daily basis. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve all of these things. But yet in God's graciousness, in God's love, in God's sovereignty, He said, hey, I'm sending my Son so that you, Aaron, He's going to take your place. He's going to deliver you. If you're a believer this morning, and something doesn't spark in your heart, man, I beg you, don't walk out of this room without just saying, God, I don't know why something's wrong. But God's grace is good. And I don't know why I don't experience that right now. But I know I need to. 
This morning, if you sit in this room and you would say, Pastor, I don't know this grace that you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus that you talk about. I cannot beg you enough to say, run to Him. Run to Him. Don't fight it on your own. He's desiring. He sent His Son on your behalf. The things that you fight, the disease of sin that we fight, the addiction that we fight, the pride that we fight, the, the things that we fight. He says, I've, I've covered it for you. I want to help you. Don't do it by yourself. Because why? In this evil world, the enemy wants to do what? He doesn't want to just be evil. He wants to be evil and take you down with them. And God said, no, I gave you my son so that you don't have to face that. He gave him to deliver you. And I beg you this morning, believer, don't walk out of here just saying, oh, I've heard a story about grace and I've heard a story about the gospel before. Don't, don't. And the gospel message ought to stir us every single time we read the scriptures. If you don't know him, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.